If you are looking for a happy place, you have found it. This is Live Happy Now, the podcast dedicated to bringing you closer to your peak happiness with powerful positive psychology, relatable insights and stories, and we have a little bit of fun with it as well. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Glad that you are joining us wherever in the world you might be, however in the world you might be listening. We are glad to welcome you into another edition of the podcast. We're also glad to have our partners on board. Live Happy Magazine, a new issue is available for you, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. At the time of recording, a new issue is available to you. Dolly Parton on the cover, fantastic magazine, all kinds of things that will help you through the next couple of months in maintaining that peak happiness. And we also want to thank our other partner, Life Reimagined, and their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of processes that you can go through, resources for you to use to maintain that happy edge. They say as you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Go to lifereimagined.org slash happy. Well, this is a very interesting conversation that we're excited to pre- uh, present to you today. Rhonda Cornum is our guest, was a 36-year-old flight surgeon back in 1991 when her Black Hawk helicopter was sent to rescue a downed F-16 pilot. And during the mission, her helicopter was shot down, and Rhonda, who broke both arms and injured her leg, was shot in the back. She became an Iraqi prisoner of war, and through this, what she calls one week of misadventure, she remained positive. Her resilience surprised many of those around her, and today the retired Brigadier General teaches those techniques to others, including overseeing the military's resilience training program. Now, Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps will talk with Rhonda about where that resilience came from, the major challenges to teaching, learning resilience, and offering a few tips to help you become more resilient. You know, Rhonda, I've heard you speak, and you have such a great attitude about your experience as a prisoner of war, and I wondered if you could tell me what role your attitude played in that kind of resilience. Oh, I think attitude is everything. I mean, if if you walk into any experience expecting the worst and thinking you can't impact the outcome, you will fail no matter how minor the problem. But similarly, if you don't look at it that way, I mean, did you ever watch, did you see the movie The Martian? And at the very end, uh, the guy who got stuck there for a year and a half is lecturing the new astronauts. And he says, an impossible problem becomes possible when you solve it one step at a time. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great insight. And that's really what you did during your captivity, isn't it? Right, right. I mean, I can't do anything about the fact that I uh, don't have any pain medicine and I'm hungry and I'm cold, but I can do something about um, whether I move in a certain way that makes it better or worse, and I can do something about what I'm thinking, and I can do something about what I'm singing. And so, yeah, it's all about taking control of what you have control over. Well, so what effects did being shot down and taken, being taken captive, what, what kind of effects did that have on you? Well, um, certainly physically, the effects, um, the long-term effects are, are um, you know, more arthritis and one bad shoulder joint and a, and a stiff finger and, I don't know, a few scars. Psychologically, I don't think very much uh, other than, other than then I have confidence. I mean, I'm pretty confident that I can do, that I will be able to tolerate about anything. But I think practically is where, is where the big change for me was. In other words, I, I approached life and, and problem solving just like I always had. But all of a sudden after that experience, people paid attention. And so I had an opportunity to help other people be more successful instead of just being successful and thinking, well, it's too bad other people don't do this. Well, so that's so interesting because to be able to take that and turn it into such a, a beneficial experience, 
it seems like you had to have some of that resilience to begin with. And I, I wonder well, where I'm that sure, came from. I am from. sure I did. That. I, in my case, I am sure. I mean, I always say some of it's genetic, some of it's learning and, 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 I mean, teaching, and some of it's what you spend time learning. But in my case, um, I think it was my parents and my grandparents who told me from the time, as long as I can remember, that I could do anything, that I could be successful at anything if I worked hard enough, that, um, I mean, I, I just believed that. So if parents and grandparents are listening to this, that's those are simple ways that they can start instilling that kind of resilience in their children and yes, grandchildren? But you, you but, and you have to help them, and you have to not make excuses when they fail. And I think that's key. So I started, you know, a, a minor example is I started showing dogs when I was 13. And, um, you know, if I lost, they didn't say, well, the judge didn't like you or the judge doesn't like girls or... They said, you know, um, the other guy was better. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what you want to hear when you're 13 years old, right? Maybe not, but it was probably true, or I hadn't done as good a job of showing it or something. But, but there, was not, there was not much room for excuses um, when I was growing up. You know, the reason you lose at a foot race or, or get a bad grade in an exam is, is generally not because somebody else cheated. It's because you either didn't try hard enough, train hard enough, or study hard enough. That's that's a great insight. That's something we're, we've gotten away from teaching. I and we've gotten away from that. We have really gotten away. And, and I had, you know, a, a grandfather from the hills of Kentucky and a and a grandmother who had been a single mom uh, for some years in, in a slum in Dayton, Ohio, and, and they never let it discourage them. They just kept working and figured it would get better. Wow. And so when you have that kind of history that informs your future moves, that probably makes a huge difference in how you approach your life. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely sure it does. The, the biggest advantage of learning those kind, that kind of thinking and those kind of attitudes in a, in a really disciplined, progressive manner is that not only do you then get to practice them, but you can explain them to other people. And that's interesting because you now teach resilient thinking skills. So what inspired you to start teaching others how to implement this kind of thinking? Well, it was, I, was, I was fortunate to be the assistant surgeon general at, uh, under General George Casey when he was the chief of staff. And he, he turned to me one day and said, we have got to do something besides just finding and treating more disease. We have got to somehow get in front of this. And so I said, yes, sir, we need to teach, we need to treat psychological health just like physical fitness. And so you don't wait till somebody, you know, gets a stress fracture or sprains their ankle before you start doing PT. You do it from the day you get in the Army. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, some people will still, uh, you know, have a torn ACL or a torn meniscus or a sprained ankle or whatever they will, but many fewer if you have a good training program. How do you teach that? Well, basically you use the same psychological principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, teaching people, you know, the steps towards optimistic thinking, teaching them better communication, teaching them to apply evidence so that when they look at a problem, it's not completely influenced by their by their biases, their confirmation bias, and all that stuff. So, and, and understand, I am not a psychologist, but I am a pretty but I am a pretty good commander and um, and parent. So, so those are the things you have to do, and you don't. It's not therapy. It's just teaching people how to think more realistically and optimistically.
and and then using real life examples, and all of our trainers can do this. Almost all of them, like I think all but one, were in the military a long time. They'd all been to uh, combat at least one tour, most of them more than once. And so everybody had examples of either how I used these skills or in other cases probably even more effectively how I didn't but I should have and would have had a different outcome. We all have just great stories and that's how you teach this stuff. You you show people how this could actually work in their lives and then you teach them, frankly, you teach them the easiest ones first and then they go home and try them and they work really well and so then they have confidence that the rest of them will probably work too. Well, there's some people who are easier to teach than others. Do, do some people take to it more easily? Oh, yes. That's true of anything you try to teach. Some mm-hmm. people are better shots no matter how many hours you take them to the range. Some people are faster no matter how many times you take them to the track. So, yeah, obviously some people will take to it more easily. They will have more confidence in it. Um, they will have fewer prejudices against it. But, um, you know, everybody can learn something. Right. And and is there any type of individual that you've seen that a pattern where they learn it more easily or they adapt more easily and, and develop resilience? I don't think we, we we break it into ages. Yes, certainly being younger makes it you can you will improve more in more different areas. That is true. If you're under 25, you are more likely to improve in, in, to a greater amount and more things will improve. And I think that just shows you that that adolescence really does make it to 24. And so since what we're really teaching is, is quality maturity, um, that's more likely to be effective if you're young. We had an 80-some-year-old woman who went to one of our classes in Australia, and she said, my daughter really needs this. This is wonderful. So you can use it anytime. Wow. <laughs> that is terrific. And, and can you give me an example, when people are listening to this, and can you give me an example of an exercise or, or how you would go about teaching someone something simple on resilience? Well, the, the simplest one is, is how to, is what I call the ABCs. And, it, you know, there's, there's an event that happens, and, um, and it's, it's not traumatic or untraumatic or positive or negative. It's just an event. It is what it is. It, like it's a, it's a pregnancy test, you know, a positive pregnancy mm-hmm. test. Now, depending, that's just a fact. That there's no connotation to that. Depending upon how you think about being pregnant, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. If you think it's a bad thing, then then you need to either um, go out and find evidence to disprove that it will ruin your life, prevent you from going to school, whatever it is, negative things you're thinking about it because of what you've seen some other people do. You have to find different people who've had different outcomes. Interesting. So so I look at it as as um, really just have to go find evidence. That and, and sometimes you can just run it through your mind, or sometimes you have to go really do some research. But um, yeah, evidence that that, is, that what you think is this bad really probably uh, is not going to be as bad as you thought. And so a lot of it's just changing how you think about something. Absolutely, but how you think totally is what drives the consequences. I mean, how you think about something it, it drives how you feel and how you behave. So, for example, my favorite one is when I wrecked my pickup truck. I had a horse trailer with two horses behind me and uh, lost control and flipped my truck. Luckily, the trailer came off the hitch and went on down and did not flip. And so I remember this happening very clearly. And I looked back and said, oh, I'm so glad the trailer didn't turn over. And then I said, oh, I'm so glad I didn't bring the dog. He'd have gotten thrown out. 
and three, oh, I'm so glad I was wearing my seatbelt. So instead of saying, oh, how horrible is this, and oh, woe is me, and oh, it's going to cost a lot, and, and oh, I'm so frightened, um, I didn't have any of those thoughts. But not everybody who flips their car and rolls down a hill comes out with that thought. Some people say, I'm not going to drive down that road anymore. I'm not going to drive at night anymore. I'm, so, so it's, I mean, really and truly, how you think about something, and I can almost always find something to be grateful for. And that starts with having those little thoughts because you didn't go just from not having any kind of gratitude thoughts to having a big incident in wrecking your no, pickup. No, I, I remember being, a, being, a, being once again with my silly dog. We were, I mean, I remember trying to climb a cliff and get into the middle, and I couldn't go up and I couldn't go down, and I was sort of stuck. And I said, well, I could sit here and starve to death. That's not helpful, so I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And then I was grateful that it worked. Not, oh, I'm so scraped up. Or, oh, I'm so stupid for doing this. Um, I wasn't really brilliant for doing that either. But, but you don't, you know, it, it does no value to sit there and, and and ruminate on that after it's over. Right. But it did it did change when I I might have been a little more um, conservative after that for a little while. Well, so I, I like how you liken psychological fitness to physical fitness. And so can you kind of talk about how we can exercise that psychological fitness or resilience every day? Like what's one thing or two things that people well, can do one on thing, a daily if, basis? If, if ever, on a daily basis, uh, there's a couple things. One is is keep a gratitude journal. Now, in the Army, that sounded a little fluffy, so we called it hunt the good stuff. But it's the same thing. Find and, and notice three good, at least three good things that happen to you every day. Write them down. I don't care if you put them on your computer or you write them in a book, but but notice them and reflect on them instead of allowing yourself to be inundated constantly by negative things, which is what happens if, in general, you watch TV, listen to the radio, or read the paper. Um, so you have to take some steps. And I have to say that I look at what people put in their brains much like I look what they put in their mouths. It's a choice. So if you want to eat potato chips and uh, and drink too much, you can do that, but it's not going to be that good for you. And so the same thing about what you put in your head. So so be cognizant of it. Um, the other thing that's easy to do, and most people don't do it, is what's called active constructive responding. It, this is basically how you react to someone else's good news. And unfortunately, um, there's a, several bad ways to do it. You can either try to trump them. So like somebody tells me I got a Cessna and I say I have a glass air. It's an airplane, you know. <laughs> um, or I got a new puppy. Oh, I have the winner at Crufts from 2012. So, so you can try to tell them. You are just raining on their parade. You are belittling them, and they were really proud of this. Or you can, even worse, you person can tell you they got a new puppy. You say, oh, how are you ever going to get to work on time? He's going to wreck your house. He's going to wreck your relationship with your wife. You're going to have to take care of this thing. She won't like it, blah, blah, blah. Or or you can um, just say, oh, that's nice, and move on. So just, again, not giving them really any reward for sharing their good news. And the problem with that is a number of them. One is, you know, if you rain on their parade about good news, they're never going to tell you something, like, really risky and they're bad news, whether this is your teenage kid or your spouse or anybody else. And so everybody wants to say, well, if he had a problem, he'd come talk to me. That's much more likely if they feel safe and rewarded for coming and talking to you about some non-problem. And it's amazing how well this works. 
I know that you've given some great examples of how you've seen it change people in the military when they start yes. practicing this. Can you give us a couple of, of examples of the well, changes? I'll talk, about the, I call, I'll talk about active constructive responding because it was the first thing we taught. And there was a sergeant, you know, one of these big gung-ho guys. And um, and so in the, in the next day of class, we would ask people to stand up and volunteer what they had in their gratitude journal. And this guy stands up, you know, dumb bad bet. He says, I called home, and I always call home and, and uh, when I travel. And, and normally I talk to my son for about 30 seconds, and he grunts, and, and then he hands, me, he hands the phone to his mother. So I thought, I'll try this. So I, he said, you know, I said, how's your day? And he said, well, it's okay. And then what did you do? He said, well, I went to, you know, band practice, and I went to whatever classes. Oh, and how did you do? And when is your band playing next time? They actually had a conversation. And at the end of 20 minutes, the son said, Dad, is this really you? <laughs> and by this time, you know, the whole, the whole room is in tears listening to this. <laughs> so, so when you have something like that happen, and the guy said it was the longest conversation he'd ever had with this kid in his life. Oh, my God. Now, it doesn't take very many of those life-changing experiences to become a believer. And, and being a quote-unquote believer, is, it's just like physical health. If you don't believe that exercise and and vegetables and fruits will make you healthier. You won't eat them and you won't exercise because you don't believe. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, there is certainly an amount of belief that, that makes you willing to do it, regardless and, of whether it's physical or psychological health. And as you've taught this, that you already had these skills, you already had this mindset, but how has it changed you to be teaching this and see how it is affecting the lives of... Oh, well, in many good ways, really. I mean, I... So so when I first got uh, back from, from um, my Gulf War misadventure, um, I mean, I was pretty grateful that all of a sudden they asked me about things like women in combat, women flying fighters, and, and you know, my thoughts about those things hadn't changed a particle. But, you know, no one in, uh, in authority had ever asked me what I thought. But all of a sudden now they did because I was a person who had experience in it as opposed to a nun. And the only people who who were talking about it before I got back was people who had no experience because they were men. Um, and so, so, well, I said, you might think this is what would have happened, but let's look at what did happen. And, yes, it's only an N of one, but that's better than an N of zero. So I got to really, I got to help, um, you know, test testified it, that helped uh, lift the ban on women flying fighter aircraft and stuff like that. So, so I was already pretty happy that I got had more influence because of this and in things that I thought were important. And then when I had the opportunity to do something about psychological fitness, um, by this time I had realized that, that we were not prepping people very well, that, that people come with a really wide uh, span of normal and some people are pretty psychologically fragile, and some people are real robust, and, you know, you couldn't discourage them if you tried. But, but most people are somewhere in the middle, and, but that we could make everybody better, just like we do with, you know, with all the recruits. Some come, some come, they've already done high school sports, and they're really athletic, and some come, they've never done anything. Um, but we can make everybody better. And that's how I look. And, and there was an opportunity that, that would never have presented itself if I had not had the experience in the golf with the, being a POW and getting shot up and shot down. That's just incredible. And, and as you've seen the effect that this resilience training has on them, how does it affect 
affect people's overall happiness? Well, I think, and, and I have a hard time with happiness, so <laughs> because I, I've never seen a, it, that seems like a very transient thing, whereas I prefer thriving and flourishing and poor perma type description. Sure. But, but, but I think almost always they have better coping skills, they have more optimistic thinking, um, they probably have better relationships, whether it's family or or at work. So, so it, and it's you know it, it's a variable amount of change, but um, but certainly what when we did the analysis, um, nothing had gone in the wrong direction, and a number of things had gone in the correct direction. So I would have to say I feel pretty confident that that it's working. And you know most public health activities, which is you know we we teach people who are then going to be out being first-line supervisors to help teach these skills. So they have a variable amount of skill at teaching as well. But you can't deploy an army of, of you know, sports psychologists either. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you deploy who you have. And, right. you know, most of the data was on teachers teaching teaching kids and, and young adults, you know, colleges and, and high schools. So I figured, well, you know, they are very, pretty variable too, you know, thinking back on both mine and my daughter's uh, teachers. So, so they, you know, that variability was built into the studies, and yet it still showed us. Well, and then what would you say that you see as the biggest obstacle to learning resilience? I think the biggest obstacle is twofold. One is people have simply made, they've simply not been exposed to disappointment and, and, and the requirement to pick themselves up and try again. And so since that's really kind of what resilience is, if you haven't been practicing that, if, if when you didn't make the team, you just said, well, I wasn't made to do this and, and didn't try the next year, that is not a resilient thinking skill, and you've just now reinforced that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so there's that individual thing that people, we, we do not have a particularly uh, self-sufficient um, and, and independent, self-confident population currently. And, and we do have a little bit of, you know, the every kid gets a trophy. So, so that makes it harder to ever have an experience of being disappointed and practicing dealing with it. Yeah, how do you and, overcome that? Because, like, our society really has become geared toward let's not let anybody down. Let's make yeah, well, you have to realize, and we just have to change that. And I'm, I'm campaigning to change that, you know, one student at a time. And as you do that, what is what kind of changes do you think we'll see as a society? Well, I think we would see people who would try harder and not expect someone else and, and not blame someone else or something else for their failures. And if it's not somebody else's fault and you realize it's you, then you can take steps to change it. But if you believe strongly that it's somebody else, then there's nothing you can do to change it. Mm-hmm. And then you don't. And the other thing I think is that we have a system of care that is really uh, aimed at sort of celebrating pathology. <laughs> I mean, and how so? <laughs> well, I mean, we have we have disease of the month. I mean, we have we don't have enough months for people to celebrate every disease they want us all to be aware of. Now, right. the people that have it are already aware, and the people that don't um, may or may not be interested. 
But wouldn't it be nice if we also celebrated success? You know, this is National Honor Student Month, or this is uh, National Athlete Month. This is, this is, you know, I just think that that constantly, if, if, so if people are kind of on the borderline and they just want attention, then being successful is not the way we're training people to get it. Mm-hmm. So it's all about learning to focus, as you say in the military, focus on the good stuff. Yeah, on the good stuff. I really believe that. Hunt the good stuff and then take purposeful action to improve the things that aren't so good. I mean, that's the whole, that's the value of negative emotion is huge, but only if it motivates you to do something different. Fantastic. I'll just tell you that the best thing that happened recently was was a, um, a psychologist that I worked with when we first started doing this um, in Europe, Deanna Beach, um, who is a child psychologist, and she wrote a book. And um, it's a little child's book and intended for, you know, parents to read with their kids. And the name of it is, Aren't I Lucky That? So when you have something disappointing, you know, dad didn't come to your game last night or, or uh, your goldfish died or some disappointing thing, you have to acknowledge, she, it basically it has some scenarios where you acknowledge the problem. Absolutely. You don't just, you know, denial is not a river in, you know, Egypt. So you acknowledge the problem, but then you flip it and say, but aren't I lucky that? So your dad didn't come to the game, but aren't I lucky that um, he's such a good uh, ER doctor that they really needed him again last night? Or aren't I lucky that uh, we had another car so I could at least get to the game with my mother? Or aren't I lucky that, well, you know, he did come Tuesday and he's coming again Saturday? So it just teaches people to acknowledge the bad stuff, but then focus on the good stuff. That's terrific. What's the name of that book again? Aren't I Lucky That. <laughs> okay, Aren't I Lucky That. That sounds like a fascinating thing to pick up. I know, and it's it's short, and it's got good, um, uh, it, it's got good diversity in in families and blending, and and it's it's just a lot of lessons. It's kind of like reading Harry Potter, you know. There's a lot of lessons to be learned. <laughs> That's terrific. Wonderful. So, yeah, I think we should all read that. That should be required reading for us. I it think. should be required reading. I've, I mean, I've, and it's easy. It's, so it's not just for small children and, and facing a small disappointment. That works for anybody. Mm-hmm. So if you had one takeaway that you wanted everyone to get from our conversation, what is, what is the one thing that, that you would leave them with? That, that the time to learn these skills is not when you're facing the biggest crisis of your life. The time to learn these skills is in daily life with small disappointments and small successes and practice how to change how you think about them so that when you have a really big problem, it's as we say in the Army, my training just kicked in. And every Medal of Honor winner says that when they say, you know, how heroic you were. They say, no, my training just kicked in and I did what anybody would have done. That's it's the most common thing I've, I've heard them say or read. And, and they believe it, and it's true. We need to do that in our lives. 
Captivating stuff there from Rhonda Cornum and Live Happy Science Editor Paula Phelps. If you'd like a free sketch note of this episode, you can go to livehappynow.com. And while you're online, reach out to us and let us know what you thought of this particular episode of Live Happy Now. You know, we love getting comments. We'd also love to hear from you about things that you'd like to hear on the podcast. Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy at facebook.com slash livehappy on Instagram by searching my live happy or you can just send us an email podcast at livehappy.com for Rhonda Cornum and for Paula Phelps I'm JR Houston saying so long and thank you and remember to always live happy <laughs>